Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of Volcano Bake Meat. I'm Connor. I'm Paige. I'm Jeff. I'm Jessica. And I'm Grant. And we have a really cool show for you tonight, but first we have some plugs we'd like to make. First off, I actually uh, was a guest host on a podcast, Bits on Hits, uh, by the Plays and Screens Committee. Great guys, they have a great show, it's a lot of fun, seriously enjoyed uh, talking with them about Hotline Miami. They had a really good breakdown of different facets of the game, so go ahead and check them out at playsandscreens.com. I'll also link to their podcast in the show notes. And the other thing is, uh, this is actually the first podcast we have recorded that is a full podcast since we got our shiny new artwork on our page. If you see our About page, there are portraits of us, and those were done by the very fine artist Sarah Tillery. She has a lot of places you can find her on social media. She's got a Tumblr, stillsart.tumblr.com. She's got a webcomic with her boyfriend, Ken, that's fantastic. It's called Seeing Things at seeingthings.tumblr.com. She Instagrams SC Tillery, and she's got a Redbubble, Stillsart, if you want to buy some of her fine work, and her commissions are open. All those links will once again be in the show notes, so if you want to see more of her fantastic art, some of which is video game fan art for some of our favorite games, Definitely check her out. I would 100% recommend it. My favorite thing of hers is she does little badges of different characters from Dragon Age. This is a little portrait of them, and it says whoever approves with an adverb that has to do with their personality, and it's always funny. I approve sexually. I think one of them is sexually. I want to say... I can believe it. <laughs> I want to say it's I want to say it's Saffron from the first game. I was going to say it. Yeah, 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 Saffron approves like, uh, seductively or something like that. All right. Well, you hear that? Go check it out. It's good stuff. So... Today's episode is going to be focused on the idea of games being therapeutic, and possibly even games as actual therapy. The idea behind that being video games are a lot of things, and one of those things is a vehicle to sort of make us feel better about things that are going on in our lives, relieve stress, or maybe in some cases add stress. One thing we might also go into is maybe what makes games not therapeutic. Just Bloodborne. <laughs> <laughs> but first off, I'd like to start off this discussion by opening up with a question. So guys, and maybe let's start with you, Paige. Uh, what is the most memorable time you noticed that a game was therapeutic for you? I feel bad bringing up Dragon Age Inquisition two weeks in a row, and I think I've told this story before, but when I was working a job I really didn't like, I played through Dragon Age Inquisition. And there is a point in the story where everything has gone horribly, horribly wrong. And, like, the place you thought was safe was in ruins, and everyone is looking to your player character as a source of hope. And a nun starts singing a hymn of the people, and the people all join in. It's a very affirming moment. Some people thought it was cheesy, but, like... Those people are wrong. That those people beautiful. are wrong. It's beautiful. It's the same as if, you know... It would be similar in American culture if there was some huge tragedy and someone started singing, say, Amazing Grace, mm. and people joined in. It's about the same level of cultural importance in the Dragon Age universe. And I'll admit, there were times at my work when things were just hard, and I'd just play that clip on YouTube and cry a little bit because I hated my job and a little bit my life, but also just because it made me feel better and it was a reminder that I could still feel. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. Having worked retail for God only knows how long now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so, no, it actually, it was a way for you to kind of feel included in that and uh, like, like things are going to be okay. Yeah, catharsis isn't quite the right, right word, but something like it. I mean, and the point of the song is that, you know, 
the dawn will come. Like, mm. the idea of it is, is, like, this is dark now, and nothing is okay now, which is the point it's at in the game. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. Yeah. I would like to go for a game that you guys probably aren't going to expect this one. A while ago, in 2010-2011, due to a variety of circumstances and factors, I was unable to continue attending my four-year schooling with my co-hosts here, and I had to return to my home in Chicago. And, I mean, mostly things were good, some things were bad, but I just, I had a lot of stress going on at that point because I wasn't at school, even though that's where I wanted to be. And one thing that I found was that I could just lose myself for a while in a game called Osmos. I and, do know that game. Oh, were you the bubble? It, no, you're you're, you're, you're an amoeba. You yeah, you're start, an amoeba. You start as a single cell, and, well, you always stay a single cell. You just get to be a larger single cell. <laughs> yeah, you never but, advanced to multicellular organism. Yeah, that no, was... that's, that's getting into spore territory. But yeah. the game is very simple in that you're, you as a cell have mass, and you can click in a direction, and you will jettison some of your mass to get momentum going in that direction. And what ends up happening is that the goal, it depends on which scenario you're using, but generally speaking, the goal is just to become the biggest cell by absorbing all of the smaller cells. And if you run into a cell that's larger than you, then you get absorbed. But it's a very simple, single mechanic, but unbelievably complex game because of the variety of situations that they've set up where sometimes you have to move by inches in order to get to the next smallest cell and use that to become large enough to absorb a cell on the other side from you and you have to constantly navigate these minefields of larger cells sometimes they have cells which have their own gravity which cause everything to move around them and it makes plotting your trajectory very difficult but it's always that one single mechanic and it forces you to reduce everything to that one single mechanic and for me that was very very mind-numbing which is exactly what i needed at the time and that for me is one of the most memorable times that a game has just helped me out well <laughs> on a very different note so one of the most memorable memorable times that a game helped me and there are several you know like smaller things like bad breakup and so you play some Dragon Age or Mass Effect type thing where you can do a romance and be like, see, you get me. <laughs> but, uh, no, um, I swear video games don't make me violent. People make me violent. Um, and this moment was one of those times where I was just having such an awful day that being able to go home and play Left 4 Dead 2 was just the most relaxing thing I have ever done. Basically, I was working at this small business where I was the only employee and uh, in, uh, in this small town. The shop was right next to a pizza place that was, like, down on the bottom of the hill where, where my shop was. It's kind of hard to explain the layout, but... So, it, there was some walking that you had to do down a slope. Not much of one, but that's the case. And we had this, like, front patio type thing in front of that shop, just because it used to be, like, an actual office building before it became a retail location. Uh, and then we had handicapped parking space and then, you know, a couple of standard parking spaces. 
I am in the middle of closing and just kind of getting everything ready to finish up when a big SUV pulls up on top of the tile patio. <laughs> this is going well. Yeah, yeah, right? Which is like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, so I uh, I go out um, because I see these, like, I, I see these, like, two women kind of wander out and one of them has two canes. <laughs> And she's, you know, clearly unhappy. <laughs> and I, I say, excuse me, you can't park here. Um, and I'm trying to be polite, but what the fuck? Um, I believe it was the daughter who was driving the car. She was going, oh, I'm sorry, we're just we're just trying to get get the pizza from around the corner, <laughs> yeah, down a hill. And I was like, uh, well, they have parking spaces over there. And then the woman with the canes is yelling at me. She's like, no, I'm handicapped. I understand you can't park here. Yeah, no, it, it started to escalate. Um, she goes, no, you don't understand. I'm handicapped. I can do what I want. Did you she... have to move your car. Did she actually say that? I'm handicapped. I can do what I want. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Um, and then, yeah. uh... <laughs> turns out, like, handicapped people can be awful people, too. Exactly. And then you no. guys became friends, right? And then... <laughs> <laughs> no. And then, when I kept insisting that they needed to move their car elsewhere, um, she tried to take a swipe at me, called me a cunt... <sighs> It was bad. With her cane? Yeah. No, she with one of her canes. She leaned on the one cane and tried to attack me with the other cane. Took a swipe at her with the cane. Didn't call her the C word with the cane. No. <laughs> bad. Um, well, anyway, she tells me she's going to call the police, and I say, oh, I'm going to call them right now. So I walk into the store, and that's when she got in the car, and her and her daughter left, presumably to park closer to the actual pizza place. Say, which I, is the whole confusing part of it. I think she's handicapped walking down at me. I know, I'm like, this isn't I'll just any go, closer. I'll just go give the pizza place trouble. The handicapped parking space was open, I saw it. So it's like, what the fuck are you doing up here, bitch? Uh, anyway, so I go home. I'm just, like, stressed and, I mean, like, literally shaking, like, kind of teared up. I'm so angry because I, I'm just, I'm not the kind of person who likes to get in any kind of conflict. And uh, especially in a scenario where, like, I'm an employee, I don't want it to reflect badly on my boss that, like, I lost my temper. So I go home, and lock myself in my room, and I killed people. I killed so many dead people. It was a really good feeling. I used the katana for, like, the entire thing, too, if I remember correctly. Because that thing always makes me laugh. <laughs> Jessica in, in is the best. In Left for Dead. And yeah, in, in Left for Dead. <laughs> in Left for Dead too. Yes. And I was so relaxed afterwards. I'm not even kidding. Like I there was no way I was going to sleep that night and then I played that game for about 2 hours. Like a baby. I'm just like I was out. Wow. Yeah. So let us all just praise Gaben for a moment and <laughs> thank him for his gift of Left for Dead 2. Thank you, Gaben. Thank you, Gaben. Praise be unto you. You may, have, you may have stopped Jessica from actually murdering somebody that <laughs> night. That's cool, though, because you wouldn't normally think of Left 4 Dead as a therapeutic game. No, but... but the context gave me an outlet for the, like, anger and stress I was feeling. Right. So. It, it ultimately helped you kind of get recover from that or get, was... back, get back to a place where you felt better. It was unbelievably cathartic. Well, I don't... I don't really have a particular specific memory associated with anything like all of you lovely people did. <laughs> but uh, 
there is just sort of something that's always been there for me, whether it's, like, stress at school or a bad breakup or whatever. Trashy JRPGs have always been there for me. <laughs> um, and, you mean TJRPGs? Yes. And, I mean, good JRPGs have always been there for me, too, obviously. I talk about Final Fantasy enough on this show. But there's there's something when I'm stressed out where I don't want a game that's going to make me think too much or a game where I feel like my state of mind will prevent me from from appreciating it. So if I'm really stressed out, I don't want to play Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy or even Breath of one of the newer Breath of Fires or anything like that. I want to play Blue Dragon. <laughs> I, I want to play. I want to play Rogue Galaxy. Oh, like God. I. I want to play Muramasa, like, these these JRPGs that are incredibly by the numbers, incredibly straightforward, not an ounce of originality in them, but they have those basics of you've got characters, you level up, you figure out how you're going to use them, you build a strategy, and then you just grind out till you get those abilities that you need. I, I think actually the one that comes to my mind most easily is Blue Dragon. Uh, in college, I was having... I, I think it was when I was having a particularly stressful term. I can't quite remember. Those happened a lot. Yeah, I, I can't quite remember, but that might have actually been... I think it was during your student teaching. Was it? When I was doing my student teaching my senior year of college, I basically was a full-time teacher, but I didn't get paid. And that was very stressful, you know, living out of a dorm, being a, a full-time teacher. So yeah, I played Blue Dragon. If you're not familiar, it is basically Final Fantasy V with everything original about Final Fantasy V stripped away. Bad voice acting, incredibly stock characters, including the obligatory obnoxious animal creature that's in every bad JRPG. Oh, it was so fun to just walk in and make fun of it. Oh, no, it was actually, it was great because I'm sitting there, I'm playing it, and like... What was it in Blue Dragon? Playable. 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 Wait, is it, he just said playable? Oh, no, that was just a funny little voice. Just a stupid robot voice at the beginning. Like, anytime oh. you switch to a different, like, party member... Playable. 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 Yeah, no, in, the, in terms of the character, it was Maru Maru, who <laughs> like, was a little, wow, like... he kind of looked really like a, spunky and obviously wants to eat a lot of rice. <laughs> yeah, he was, like, this tiny little yellow guy. He wasn't a minion, but he kind of reminded yeah. me of the minions. <laughs> There's a tiny little yellow guy who wore, like, a pot on his head, and he had the really loud, high-pitched, oh, kind of nails it. I I can't do it, but he had like a nail on the chalkboardy kind of voice. It was like, a, it was a, it was a scrappy do scenario. It was a very scrappy do scenario, and like there's the other party member who's obviously a traitor that you don't like. You don't find out until three quarters of the way through the game, but you she's don't obviously a traitor. Find out in quotations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I but, think I called that entire game in the first ten minutes of watching you play it. Oh, so did I. Like, <laughs> like, like you said, it's straight. It's very straightforward. It's very straightforward. There's nothing really original to it. But you know what? I figured out a party arrangement where. I had the little obnoxious guy taking all of the damage. <laughs> I, I, I classed him out all in, like, barrier mage and knight, so he stood in the front row and absorbed all of the damage. And so then everybody else could nuke everybody else. And, I, like, I had the one girl in the back as a black mage who was my MVP nuking everything. Like, I still remember my party layout because the story was forgettable and the characters were forgettable. But Although they were playable. They were playable, but they were also <laughs> forgettable. But there are two things... That I will always remember about the game. The battle setup I had, because I love a game that lets me craft a, a hardcore strategy to optimize the way my party acts as a unit. And I will also always remember the boss battle music, because it is the greatest piece of video game music ever composed. 
This is pain coming from Paige, by the way, <laughs> not pleasure. It is, it is, it is a piece. It is a masterpiece. I'll link to it in the show notes. <laughs> she says depressively. Uh, so Connor, moving on from that, what is my what is yours? Yeah. Mine's actually what I what I'm assuming is going to be a popular one. Uh, subject of discussion for this episode. So, if you say Hotline Miami, I'm going to smack <laughs> I, will not, I am not going to say Hotline Miami. As much as I enjoyed it, it does stress me out more than it calms me down. No, I think the one of the games that I've played that has really struck me as being very therapeutic in some way is Minecraft. Yeah. Um, and I know that I think this many people have mentioned that before about the game, that it's very calming, very relaxing. But me in particular, I think when I... And I've always enjoyed it. It's always felt good to play it, but... If I tied it to a memory, in college I also went through a rough time where I was working for a uh, painting company where they gave you a franchise to set up a house pa- or as a house painting franchise in your hometown, and they gave you the supplies and the training, quote unquote, to know how to run a crew and you know perform estimates and do sales and stuff like that, and it was. A rewarding but very, very painful and tiring experience. I learned a lot, but I failed a lot, and I worked 16 to almost 20-hour days sometimes, and I was driving home from school, a three-hour drive back home from school every Tuesday and every weekend. So I was burnt out every day, all day, that whole time during school, and it was a very, very stressful time, and I was kind of losing my mind a little bit. And Minecraft was there for me. (laughs) I could just, but I could just come back if I was feeling kind of burnt out. I knew I had some free time. I could just boot it up, just drop into a world. And I've never really been one to play Minecraft for the objectives. I just like wandering around, finding new locations, new biomes, sort of seeing what's there, just kind of being amused and interested in what's around me. And then I'll I'll dig a hole or I'm going to build a house and just kind of see what that's like and go over here maybe build another house oh you know what? it'd be cool if i could build a little farm area or a garden and and that's all that's that's all i ever do with minecraft i just kind of it's like playing with legos i just kind of build random things as they come to me i explore as i want and that's just so unbelievably de-stressful it instantly calms me down anything that i'm worried about or that's bothering me i can just put aside for the moment and just disappear into the world of minecraft and just wander around the forest for a while uh, you know, go fishing while it rains, find a dog, you know, have it be my friend. Spelunk a cave, kill, killing skeletons, you know, what might be considered stressful, but even in Minecraft, that's still pretty, like, yeah, this is good. What about yeah. creepers? Creepers? Uh, I mean, they're just a part of it. And you can play, like, isn't there a version where you can play without creepers? Minecraft does have peaceful mode. Yeah. And actually, uh, my friend Elliot prefers to play on peaceful mode, just because he likes to build. But I, I like I like the feeling of it being that survival environment where there is an ecosystem. You know, there are things that are coming for me, so I do need to stay safe and protect myself, you know. But even then, that, that still in itself is, I think it helps it helps immerse me. I know? distinctly recall some times in college during that t- term where I'd be, like, working on a paper or even in bed, and you'd be sitting there playing Minecraft, mm-hmm. and you'd just be like, do-do, sitting around that, and you'd suddenly go, shit, and you'd freak out on your tape, <laughs> at your desk. And I'd like, Creeper, you go, yeah, it's Creeper. Yeah. It's yeah. Okay, I died, but I'll be alright. Yeah. Creation mode is probably the most zen. Yeah, creative, creative mode or, or, creative. or peaceful mode are both mm-hmm. the most zen ways to do it. But that that's my game. So, awesome. I think those are all really good examples of how video games can be a source of catharsis, 
uh, a source of relaxation, recharging, feeling recuperated, maybe releasing some tension. <laughs> uh, releasing a lot of tension. You know, some stress. Escaping to somewhere that's safe or fun or relaxing or whatever it needs to be. Or, or more or, fucked up than reality. Yeah. Huh? It, it, going to, games can take you to a place that is either incredibly simple so it's really not much to deal with, or it's super complex and horrible, and you're like, wow, my life is great. <laughs> <laughs> so there are obviously a lot of options on the table of how a, a video game can be therapeutic and you know what things it can do. So I kind of want to talk about how games can be that a good source of, of therapy or, or therapeutic things. So like what, what specific components of a game, or maybe what other games are known for being good sources of therapy? Well, I think the elephant in the room is just the element of escapism. You know, we've discussed it ad nauseum practically, but I think that's the common thread in everything that we've mentioned. They all include some element of escaping into another, into a different place where sometimes, like with Oz, with Osmos, was it? Yeah. Yeah, or Minecraft, it's a simpler place where all you need to worry about is, I'm a cell, and I just gotta get all the other cells, <laughs> and everything's cool, and all that exists is me and these other cells, and soon I shall be in control. Mm-hmm. Or Dragon Age has this incredibly well fleshed out universe where sometimes bad things happen, but and a lot of times bad things happen. But ultimately, if you hit bad guys hard enough with a sword, the dawn will come. Like <laughs> you know, it yeah. puts us in that other world. But I think on the other side, just bringing up my example, I think the thing that made it easier is not even necessarily that it was an escape from my problems, but it was a reskin of my problems. Um, you I still th- confronted it. It was yeah, still there. It's been said before that. Sometimes we tell stories, we make up myths and things because it makes things that we have seen as mundane and familiar new and interesting and allows us to see them with new eyes. And so it recreated some, like, that instance in the game, even though my problems are very different than my Inquisitors, it recreated the situation I was in in a different way and so I could see my problem mirrored there and see both... A imaginary person having my problems, but also hope in the situation. So I think that there is a value both in escapism and recreation. That's an interesting point. You can either it either takes you somewhere else or just presents it to you in a different way that gives you a new perspective on it. Uh, I'd just like to bring up as a slight example of not necessarily reskinning a problem, but allowing you to explore interests in a unique way. My sister. I couldn't tell you exactly what she does. She has a degree. I want to say it is landscape architecture and design. Uh, She specifically works with conservation and using nature to use less resources. But I remember when I introduced her to Skyrim, she loved it. She thought it was beautiful. She loved wandering around in the world. I still remember when she figured out you could do alchemy by (laughs) harvesting plants and grinding them up and creating potions. And I don't think I've ever seen anyone go so bonkers about alchemy, about alchemy. in Skyrim. <laughs> and it, it was great. She was having a great time, and I'm really happy. But it was it was just kind of funny looking on from the outside and saying, you work with plants all day. <laughs> so now you want to work with plants. And then you come home and you want to work with more plants. Hey, if you love what you do... <laughs> You'll never work a day in your life. It kind of reminds me, there's a, there's, a, there's a famous sort of meme comic on the internet of a guy in Germany working at like a warehouse and like he's forklifting things like, well, mm-hmm. and then the, the, you know, the go home bell sounds or something. Yeah. It's like, oh, another hard day of work. Time to go home and, you know, 
take a load off and it shows he goes and boots up his computer and he does like the hands on his face ah yes and you see all the different simulators forklift <laughs> simulator train simulator farm simulator he's like ah euro truck simulator so he goes home from work to do work yeah but goat simulator but that's actually an interesting point so in the case of your sister and in the case of this fictional German forklift driver um <laughs> There was there wasn't really a problem or or, or like a conflict internal conflict they mm-hmm. were feeling you know that was just their life but this allowed them to enjoy it in a different way yeah so it just takes something that already kind of gives them pleasure makes them happy or at least makes them feel rewarded and then they can do it in this context as well mm-hmm. so maybe that's something worth knowing. I would also say with my example transference <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know uh, taking the issue of not being able to enact any sort of physical harm and enacting far too much physical harm. But was it really? Well. (laughs) Wasn't Romero originally intended the zombies to be, you know, a metaphor for the people who go to the shopping mall and, you know, are just sort of the mindless consumers. Mm -hmm. So I think having Left 4 Dead be an outlet for any kind of retail work is incredibly fitting. What's the great thing about zombies? They're just a vessel for all of our fears and problems and concerns. Mm -hmm. We just take it out on the sheeple. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, they're great. You know, thank God for zombies. If they weren't there, we'd just be so stressed out all the time. It'd be a horrible existence. Well, and I think part of it not only is escapism, but systems that make sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, think about it. You're a kid and you're in school where the rules seem to change. What people expect of you change from minute to minute. What, like, people are telling you you have it so easy. People are telling you you need to do all this work, you know. And then you go home and then you play Fire Emblem. I mean, I don't know what your drug of choice was as a child, but for me it was Fire Emblem or Final Fantasy Tactics, either one, go. You put people in rows, they all have set skills, their skills have set, like, there's an action, there's a reaction, there are systems, and they make sets. And so I think part of it is also just being able to find something logical in your life. It's a fixed point. Yeah, and I think that's actually an interesting way to, to phrase it, of there being a system in place. Um, I think when it comes to things that are therapeutic, typically there's either a lack of something or too much of something, whether that's pain or anger or frustration or fear in the too much of something category, or there's a lack of maybe happiness or calm or control. feeling safe or control. Order. And, or order, yeah. You know, lots of things. And I think the games can be a system of delivering that feeling. I know we've talked a lot on this show about the whole concept of reward being a part of a core part of a game that needs to be there and that's that can be therapeutic too just feeling like i'm doing something i'm getting rewarded for it this feels good um but i think that reward can sometimes come in the shape of things like i'm in a place where i feel safe and the game is 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 giving that to me i'm doing things and as a result it is putting me in a place where i feel safe because i think that was really what helped me with minecraft so much is i wasn't so much and this is where i think for me escapism really is escapism is i'm not avoiding my problems it's not about ignoring my problems the whole time i was playing i knew i had to get up in the morning and drive back home and do estimates and you know get my crew together and things like that that never went away but when i was in the world of minecraft i was in a safe place where none of that was i knew it was still there and i knew it wasn't going to go away but you didn't have to worry about it i didn't have to worry about it it wasn't going to affect this i could do this um, and that helped put me in a better state of mind for when I did have to deal with mm-hmm. all that work. You yeah. know, I could come at it with a clear mind. I didn't feel like I was being overloaded all the time because I had this game, which was a system in which to deliver 
a way for me to just kind of feel recharged or like I did get that time away from everything. Actually, another game I'd like to bring up kind of about that is Animal Crossing. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of people say that Animal Crossing is a really cool game for them just because it's purely built around the idea of just being a good neighbor, having a house and like making friends. Whatever the fuck you do, don't default on your mortgage. Don't default on your mortgage. <laughs> Although, thankfully, as far as I know, in Animal Crossing, you can't be foreclosed upon, which is nice. Yeah, you're just under debt. <laughs> you get deeper and deeper in debt. Yep. That's a that's a grim lesson to teach the children. Yeah, why is this game not stressful that's, again? That's the but, American way. It is. <laughs> it really is. Uh, yep. No, Animal Crossing and Tomodachi Life, man. Tomodachi Life. Like, uh, all about just fixating on like helping people and solving problems and just making people happy with no real negative side effects like there there will be some here and there of like oh they're having an argument now or like they're kind of sad but it just leads to another problem that you can ultimately fix although i i will say in tomodachi life's just to take a hit for it everyone i know who has recreated them and their significant other in tomodachi life has either had them never get together or break up in a spectacular fashion. Yeah, didn't we, like, have a kid and then get divorced in your game of Tomodachi We did, but that's better than, like, my friend Kaini's game, where she and and her husband never got together and her husband kept hitting on her sister. (laughs) Oh, okay. And yours didn't Jeff keep hitting on your sister? Yeah, I kept telling Jeff no. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good idea. I didn't impose that much control on my Tomodachi life game started dating like i dated and got married to the monarch (laughs) from venture brothers from venture brothers and connor (laughs) dated and i think got married to dr mrs the monarch (laughs) yeah well she was dr girlfriend now she's dr mrs the connor schmidt yeah this is true i go around calling myself the connor (laughs) <laughs> I'm just saying, don't get it. If you're trying to get away from relationship problems, it won't make you happy. Yeah, the relationship drama will get much stranger. When pro-social goes bad. <laughs> <laughs> so then, maybe this is a good time to transition into another question about how a game can be therapeutic. Jessica, you mentioned the idea of problem-solving being a part of games like Animal Crossing, where you're just solving problems for your neighbors, and I guess that, yeah, that can be pretty rewarding, well, but... It honestly depends on what we mean by therapeutic. Um, I mean, based off of what we're starting off with, my guess is we mean it in the colloquial sense. The most layman's of terms. Yeah, the most layman's of therapeutic. It makes me feel good. Yeah, right? In which case, like, there are definite benefits that you can see. But if we're talking actual therapeutic, there are also other benefits. Like, with Animal Crossing and Tomodachi Life, that's a really good way to teach pro-social behavior. So, like, learning empathy and, like, mm. how to talk to people and communication skills and how giving gifts shows that you care and shit like that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> like, um, but then, like, other games might be better at um, developing your cognitive skills and so forth. So, obviously, shooters help build your reaction time to things, which seems really straightforward but when you think about it like building your reaction time can help you step on the brakes faster if you see a kid run out in the middle of the road right um or um just like building your attention so that you can kind of focus on one specific point in a sea of noise means that you can like drive through the fog better and so forth which seems 
Like I'm fixating on. Driving. These are all very di- driving focused. I mean, it's a very common. They're the ones that I think of. <laughs> it's a common activity that most people can say they've done. Yeah, or exactly. Do, so right. It's relatable. Um, and then there are other games that help build memory and so forth. So, like, if if you have issues with just remembering things, maybe working with some memory-based games, you'll build that up and learn how to make associations a little bit faster, a little bit easier, and then you won't for- be as forgetful for other stuff. It just depends what you're talking about. If you play Fallout New Vegas, it'll teach you the perils of gambling. True. <laughs> but if you true. play Pokemon, gambling pays. <laughs> Although I think this can be sold in a kind of misleading way. Uh, I think we've all seen, starting with Brain Age, well not starting with, but I think the most common was Brain Age for the 3DS. Uh, and now there's also, I forget what the service is actually called, but... It was on the DS Luminosity. as well. Yeah. No, yeah, Luminosity. Yeah Brain, yeah, Brain Age was a legit DS, but yeah, yeah there's the There's also Luminosity. Luminosity, which is, I think, a subscription-based service where it's you play a, a lot of... It's a website, right? It's a website yeah. where you play a lot of matching and training games. And usually they sell themselves as we improve your neuroplasticity. Yeah, your neuroplasticity is the word they usually use. And although people who play these games see a lot of improvement, sometimes the only improvement that they actually get in the real world is that they are better at playing these specific games. Yeah, and honestly, that's kind of the main issue with a lot of therapy-based games is that, like, the truth of it is... Games as actual forms of therapy, you have to be able to fine-tune for each individual patient, which is really hard to do. So, for something like Luminosity, if you're the right kind of patient, it's going to work wonders for your life. But you have to be the right kind of patient, otherwise you're just going to get good at playing those sorts of games. And there may have to be a system in place or an expectation that you're going to take what you learned or built up from playing this game and actually apply it. Well, just on the topic of being able to tailor to the specific player, it's not a video game, but also in the nerd realm is tabletop role-playing games. There is actually a movement that's kind of growing out of drama therapy, where people use D&D as a therapy device. Uh, I know there's a group called the Wheelhouse Workshop in the Seattle area. There's a group called the Bodana Group back east. The Wheelhouse Workshop group, I think, deals more with teens with anxiety kind of social issues and help them socialize in a safe environment because the way they craft the D&D encounters is specific for those people. The Bodana group actually does something that's even more interesting. They deal with a lot of kids who have been affected either by sexual abuse or who are sexual abusers. And what they do is they craft situations where those kids have power in a safe space and teach them how to use it responsibly. I mean, I'm not an expert on this. I've heard a podcast about it, but once again, not an expert. But the thing is, if you have been abused, then a lot of power has been taken away from you. But if you're an abuser, then you've been using your power in a way that is not healthy. And you might not be aware of it, Mm -hmm. especially if you're a kid. And they understand that, you know, these are kids. The, The fact that they're doing these things does not mean that they're bad people but they have fallen into patterns that are not healthy. And so it uses a imaginary situation in a way that is guided by a therapist to help teach them those skills in a safe environment. And what's always fascinated me about that concept, because um, we heard about the Wheelhouse Group at Emerald City Comic Con, and I, I, I was blown away by the whole concept, is just that it's so easy to not let on that you're in therapy and that because as soon as you say the word therapy and like in a serious way in a we are actually in therapy 
walls go up. Walls go up. And it is really hard to knock it down. So being like, no, I'm going to go play with my D&D group. And, and that's how you see it, as opposed to seeing it as therapy, really, really helps. Um, and it's, it's, it's really interesting. So with, with groups like Wheelhouse, who actually have a tabletop game or role-playing game experience in person, uh, and it's guided by a therapist in this case, so I, I, I get in that sense it's very different from video games, which obviously are mainly a you and the game. There's not someone else you know watching you, guiding you, necessarily. But can that be accomplished with video games also, I wonder? Like, can you actually take... Can a video game only have this therapeutic effect mentally? Or is a game capable of actually getting you to apply it physically and you actually do... You mean, like, building social behavior or... I think just to keep it the example simple, let's just let's just go with that. Yeah. So, again, it, it really depends. Um, and there is work being done to really figure that out. But um, one thing in particular that has kind of indicated that maybe you could build some social stuff is a lot of online D&D-esque games. So, games that, they're, like, the therapist person <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, essentially builds the scenario and then you play the game, and maybe it's set up like Dota or whatever, right? Like it's it's it, or uh, off the top of my head, I'd say Guild Wars. Guild Wars would be or a good fit. Big, big social thing. So you're playing with a larger group, probably only like six to ten people for a manageable set, I'm sure. But like, you do some sort of online game that ha- that deals with whatever problems are necessary there. And probably, I would imagine, dealing with, like, team-building stuff and how to relate to other people that way. Well, and it's a much smaller social example, and this is more anecdotal evidence than anything clinical or published. But here, I'll ring the bell. Undertale. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of stories that I've seen online where either people who are on the spectrum or people who have friends or loved ones who are on the autism spectrum have played it and either said this has helped me understand non-spectrum people better just because the game addresses, has characters who are neuroatypical. Or it says this character helps me understand my friend or my loved one who is on the spectrum because it's creating a character with a lot of behaviors that might seem to make no sense to you as a person who is either like on a different side of this divide but in the game there are ways that you can relate that the game rewards you for and the game kind of it doesn't make a clear path but it makes a path for you where you can do things correctly and so then you can apply that to your life and maybe get a little more empathy for yeah like you like just walking straight through the game and not doing any of the side stuff and just sort of treating it like a standard RPG, you'll get some of the sort of behaviors that on the surface might appear to be just, like, kind of annoying. Um, There's one character who just calls you repeatedly and never knows what to say and everything. And if you go out of your way to actually get to know these characters and talk to them and understand their struggles and stuff... You get to you can see sort of the inner workings and the thought processes of their anxiety in that particular case, or whatever is going on, and you do get a, a better understanding of these things. And I can, I mean, obviously I can't totally understand because I am not on any spectrum, but I can see how the people who, I can see how there are people who relate. Mm-hmm. I can understand that having played the game. 
Well, and just being able to say that it helps you understand it a little better. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is a just because you were doing something in your free time for fun. Because unless you really need to, you're not necessarily going to just like, here, let me dive into this thing that will make me a better, more empathetic person for funsies. But if we put it in the realm of a game, then that makes it much more palatable. I know. And that's definitely the thing that has always gotten me about games in general is that, like, whether it was meant to be put in there or not, right? Like, when when somebody creates a game that tells a story, we are learning something, right? Mm -hmm. Like, even if that's just, I have learned that this guy can tell a story. (laughs) We've learned something. Um, But usually there's more depth in there. Like, I have learned... A little bit more about what a neuroatypical person might behave like and how I can best handle, like, interacting with that person. Or what they experience. Yeah. I would like to tell a story real quick, which technically is not related to video games, but I'll I'll spin it, I promise. Um, (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Isaac Asimov, the classic science fiction writer, had just written one of his first stories, uh, a story called Nightfall. And I won't go into the details, but it had taken off. It was very successful. And a prominent sci-fi author of the time, I cannot remember who, uh, had read the story and was actually coming to the college that Asimov was at to do a talk about Asimov's story. And Asimov decided to go. He said, (laughs) why shouldn't I? This could be interesting. So he goes and he listens to the talk. And the guy got everything wrong. (laughs) He was sitting there listening, thinking, did this guy actually read my story? I have no idea what the hell this guy is talking about. This doesn't make any sense. So he goes up to him afterwards and he says, hey, listen, I listened to your talk and I I really think you missed it. And he says, really, why do you say that? He says, well, because I know what was intended. He said, oh, he said, yes, because I'm Isaac Asimov. I wrote it. And the author looks at him and says, so just because you wrote it, you know everything about the story? <laughs> and it, it it's a little bit perverse, but he's absolutely right. It's a very good point, though. I mean, you that's, know? that's death of an author. Yeah. Death of the author in a nutshell. It's... I look at something like Skyrim, where my sister finds immense amounts of meaning in wandering around in the woods and picking plants and making potions and I'm not happy unless I've killed a dragon in the last ten minutes <laughs> it's, you, you, you can get these radically different experiences from the same story and I think that is an important thing to make note of just how different you can get with every single game so not to jump back too much but I'm actually reminded of something with Minecraft that happens. Um, I haven't actually experienced it just because I've never actually finished the game. I have too much fun just building houses and fishing to actually, you know, finish the main plotline, quote unquote, that exists within the game. But back on the subject of can the therapeutic feelings or or um, mechanics that certain games have apply to the physical world rather than just the digital world or the mental world. At the end of Minecraft, once you defeat the Ender Dragon, um, there's nothing more to do. You've beat the quote-unquote story. Uh, what they did was they hired a professional writer, a fiction writer, to come in and actually write an ending. And the way it's presented in Minecraft is there is an actual poem, so to speak. Uh, it's kind of a freeform poem that just kind of plays out across the screen. And it takes about ten minutes to actually finish the whole thing. 
And it plays out as this sort of quasi-conversation between two people, things. You're not entirely sure. It's all very abstract, which of course it's Minecraft, so if it were anything, if it were anything less than that, I, I feel like it would just be wrong. But it ends by implying that the player is kind of at the end of their journey, or that they've kind of seen everything that there is to this world, and makes a comment that now they're getting back to the world they came from. In a way that implies... All right, you've played enough Minecraft. <laughs> that reminds me the the, the original the original Monkey Island. At the end of the credits, mm-hmm. then it all scrolls away. There's a black screen that just starts flashing. Turn off your computer and go to bed. <laughs> and go to bed. <laughs> and, well, this was similar to that, but it, but a much it wasn't flowery version of that. Yes. Well, that again is supposed to be. I think that's kind of like a like a jab, right? There's something <laughs> clever behind that. This was it was meant to be. And I actually read an interview with the author who wrote it, and he said the point that he wanted to focus on with with this ending was that transition point that the player was at in that moment of you're at the point where between the Minecraft world and your world, real life and the game life, where you might be turning off and moving out back into your real world. And he kind of wrote something that helps naturally carry the player back into their own life. And it gives you that idea of, okay, this world is expansive and endless and you can explore it forever and there's so many like incredible or just interesting things here, but you have a world too. And maybe now it's time you go back to that. Maybe you can explore that some more. And that to me is a fascinating way to end a game, especially when we're talking about this whole idea of taking these these therapeutic concepts or mechanics that appear in these games and then applying them in, in, in your own life in a real physical context. Is Minecraft to me is all about, it's this fun, interesting, nice little escape from my own world and I can just kind of feel at ease and calm and have fun in this world. But... I, I, like I said, I never actually got to that moment myself. I haven't played it, but I did. I got curious one day and I watched the video, and and I got it because I had played the game so much, and I think that's really cool that it gives you that natural transition from the feelings that you have playing this game of exploring, finding new things, feeling safe, feeling like an adventurer, and then you realize you're just back in your own world suddenly, and you have all those same feelings that you felt. So. I want to take things in a slightly different direction. Let's talk about going out into the real world and exploring it. I want to talk about Pokemon Go. Okay. Because <laughs> if you think about it, I mean, we could talk about Game Freak or their endless quest to get people to go outside. We could talk about that for hours, I'm sure. But you're talking about how you have your own little microcosm in Minecraft, and at the end it gives you this beautiful transition to start going outside... Niantic and Game Freak and the Pokemon Company or whatever they are at this point, Nintendo, have taken a much more direct approach (laughs) to getting people to go outside. And I think it's worth talking about the effects that that had because I haven't looked at numbers recently. I'm sure they've dropped, but even so, people are still playing Pokemon Go. They're still going outside. It got people to go out, and aside from just going outside, it, it did get people to interact with each other. Yeah. Um, and I did see quite a few stories of people saying that the game had had really positive effects for them because normally they don't go out or know how to socialize, but this game gave them a common thread with just people they didn't know. Yeah. And it actually brought them together physically, which normally in like an MMO or something like that might happen digitally. Mm-hmm. But Pokemon Go kind of made it real. Yeah. Which is 
actually incredible. I know Niantic did. Um, oh dear, I can't Ingress. Remember. Ingress before this, which kind of did the same thing, but it, it clearly didn't have the same effect that Pokemon no, Go has. No, it wasn't. It wasn't nearly to the same scale. Like, it didn't have the Pokemon name to make it really popular. That's yeah. more relatable, I think. Well, and I think you were picking up points and things instead of picking up something with a cute face. That's true. I. I haven't played Ingress myself. Yeah, it's just you just collect you collect energy or something like that. There were whereas, two teams and you know. yeah, it's it's yeah. Whereas with, with this is like, there's a Squirtle over there. I'm gonna throw things at it until it becomes my slave. Like it's classic <laughs> friend. Pokemon. Friend, sorry, friend. friend yeah, strike through slave corrected to friend. <laughs> yeah, well, so that yeah, those things have made it that that sort of phenomenon. And you hear stories of like I think there was one uh, story I heard that was parents, and I'm sure there were plenty like this, of parents who had a kid who had autism, did not talk to strangers, very insular, like, you know, and playing Pokemon Go was suddenly going up and talking to, I mean, kid, the, taught the kid to go up and talk to strangers. You know, <laughs> talking to people and, you know, uh, working together and finding Pokemon and everything, and so it is sort of having that effect that. I don't know, it probably doesn't necessarily count as therapeutic, but in our our special little Volcano Bake Meat layman's version of therapeutic. Well, and this might be a little off topic, but a game's creating a positive result in people's lives. I think it was on the geek to geek cast, Bij, one of the hosts, was talking about when he uses his Vita, his PS Vita, to when he works out. You know, he'll just be on the exercise bike or whatever, and he'll be playing his Vita. That encouraged us to work out more. Like, Grant was like, wait, right, I could play Zelda while I was working out. That makes working out so much more palatable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now I play Oracle of Seasons on the exercise bike. Yeah. So mm. there is something to games that once you add it to a day-to-day -day activity, it can make things better. Uh, I know I've talked about it before, but the app Habitica takes mm -hmm. video game elements and adds them to a to-do list. And so it has those same reward systems and it's building it into the system. So it's not exactly... A stress reliever or therapeutic in the ways that we've been talking about, but it is still using game elements to improve your day-to-day -day life. Building well, good habits. So yeah. maybe the question, and I hadn't thought about this, maybe the question in terms of whether a game can be therapeutic, maybe not in the exact clinical definition, but something closer to it than just a colloquial, it makes me feel good, is not so much in terms of what the game can do, it's what the game can do when applied to a certain activity or habit or, or lifestyle that you're actually doing. How it bleeds into your life. Yeah. How, how, I've, been, I've been trying to... I think when I originally came up with the, the idea for this episode, I was thinking about you know, how the game itself, fully contained in its own box, could be a source of therapy or, or a source of therapeutic things. But, I don't know, it's becoming... I think this discussion has made it clear to me or at least it gives me the idea that maybe I'm not asking the right question. Maybe the question should be, how can you bring your own life and a game, like some things you do in your own life, whether it's socializing with people or exercising or maybe if it's just honestly something as simple as thinking the right way, memorizing things, how can you bring a game into that and have the two come together in a way that complement each other? And maybe that makes something therapeutic. Not saying we need an answer now, it's just... Something to think about. Something no, to think about. And that is literally the question being asked by legitimate clinical therapists, right, um, who want to use gaming as a therapy tool, is how can you take one person's experience and specifically what problems they're having 
and bring them into a game setting that can help them with that issue. Um, yeah, no, there's there's a lot of really cool research being done in that area. Awesome. Yeah. So enough good news. <laughs> What's the bad news? What are things that make... Let's, let's go back. Maybe there's, there's, there are plenty of things about games that are bad and not therapeutic, too. Yeah. Um, not not to you know to sugarcoat the whole thing. So the main complaint that I constantly hear is that video games are just far too violent. And I say that because my uh, senior research project in college was on our video games making people violent. And I have my my suspicions i had my hypothesis nothing significant statistically speaking um but that is a legitimate question to ask is like when it comes to games like quite a few of them that are on the market are very violent and if there is a link it could it could have some pretty serious issues with not necessarily every person but with the right person that can trigger some bad stuff I would just like to throw out an idea. I feel a decent way to sum up the consensus of our previous conversation about the benefits of video games is that they are a useful tool when applied correctly for achieving therapy. Or achieving a a therapeutic effect. Yes. A positive effect. Yes, a positive, semi-therapeutic, semi-layman's therapeutic effect. So the consensus, which it sounds like you just brought up, would be when you improperly use a tool. Yeah. Don't try to stop the chainsaw with your hands. Well, but we've all also heard the term gaming widow. Mm-hmm. Like I actually have not. Please explain. Oh, yeah, I've never heard, heard of... that before. So no, I just have never no. heard of gaming widow. Okay. Please, like please, it's weird I, that the I girls know. The, the <laughs> fact that the women know what gaming well, widow is. Okay, I haven't heard it, but I can put two and two together. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say yeah, I think so I know where this is going. I believe I do too, but please elaborate. So let's let's use a real world example. Uh at the end of November. Final Fantasy 15 is going to come out. <laughs> I will not see my husband for the rest of the year. I enjoyed our time together. <laughs> it was, it was but I must go now. <laughs> my people need me. I like the idea. It was good time spending with you, wife. Now I must go. <laughs> but to be more serious, like there is a thing where if you get so consumed by a game, but also if the game gives you feelings like positive feelings that you don't think you can achieve in your life and that becomes more rewarding and more important to you than your day-to-day life that can be dangerous i mean we've all heard the stories of people kind of getting eaten up by an mmo like it's it's the stereotype but there are some people who have that issue of you know it eating them i think what you're thinking of is the country of japan I think that might be a vast generalization about the country of Japan. (laughs) I'm not so sure. I'm honestly not so sure. They have legitimate gatherings of men who will go and stay with other men at a hotel where it's all themed around a certain eroji or a certain dating sim or a certain... I'm not even sure what that genre is exactly Eroji being a romantic video game. Uh, Simulation uh, game. Specifically sexual. Yes. 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 Explicit. Yeah. Eroji is, without a doubt, sexual in nature. And these men will go, and they'll hang out together during the day, and then they will all go to their hotel rooms and masturbate while thinking about their waifu or their best girl from that particular Eroji. Do you remember the article you were telling me about the other day? There's an article on... I think it was on NPR. I can't remember where it was exactly. I'll need to try and find it. 
talking about the declining birth rates and the declining the declining amount of sex that's going on in Japan. Yeah, we jo- in America we have jokes about oh this is best girl and this is my waifu and everything and we kind of yeah. we joke about neckbeards and their waifus, but in Japan it's a serious it's becoming a serious issue. It is becoming a serious issue. The two causes that I've seen from the limited amount of research I've done, research just watching for articles about it. There are two problems. One is the vast amount of overwork that their jobs expect. The second part is that these guys don't want to deal with an actual woman. They want to just plug and play. Yeah, they want... They, they rather, want... rather they don't want a relationship because that can hurt. Yeah. Building a relationship with another person is a complicated process. Yeah. And it can, it can be painful sometimes. Well, and I think it's not just relationships, though. Like, we want the thing that gives us a reward. I think this was touched on a lot in our last... Or our appetizer episode on casual games... But one thing is, at the end of the episode, Jessica suggested venture capitalist. <laughs> I'm sorry. I do not endorse venture capitalist any longer. It's it adventure is, capitalist, right? It is adventure capitalist. It's a very well-developed game. I will say that up front. It has, basically, the mechanic is you are a venture capitalist starting a ton of businesses. Whenever you click on your business, it will start generating money. As you get richer, you'll hire managers, and they'll click the button for you. So it's a constant reward loop. Yeah, it's, it's a, a, yeah, it's a it is a constant reward resource loop. And, and I fell in. I fell in the hole. He deep. fell hard. <laughs> like we both fell hard because the thing is, we both said to each other almost independently that this is the closest to addiction we have ever felt because <laughs> it was not fun anymore. It was just compelling. We would just keep going because we felt the need to, and there would be nights where I would be like come on, come to bed, I'm tired. He'd be like, okay, I just need to sell everything off and restart it. And it would be another 20 minutes, because not because he was loving this game. Like, it was not the Final Fantasy XV Gaming Widow Syndrome where, like, he's actually creating an interesting story. It was, he felt the need to light up that center in his brain, and I had the same thing. I just caught it a little earlier and deleted it a little earlier. <laughs> so, I know, earlier we talked about video games having a system in place to deliver a certain therapeutic effect, whether that's reward or feeling safe or feeling in control or, you know, just venting frustration. In this sense, that can be abused. Maybe not even... Actually, I would assert pretty much never intentionally. Almost always unintentionally. Well, and I think the thing is, the game, what it gives you is it gives you a feeling of success and control. You are the venture capitalist creating everything. But really, when you take a look outside of yourself, it's kind of disgusting to watch yourself just as a rat <laughs> clicking the button. This is what it was. I, I found myself. I realized. The game control you. Yeah, I realized I was just sitting there staring at numbers on a screen for like ten minutes. On a spin on a, a game that we have called a positive one, Connor's Minecraft. Oh. <laughs> so he and I w- were playing together for a while, and we're building stuff and so forth. And he can attest to this. There were nights when I would start playing Minecraft and not stop until about 6 a.m. And all I was doing, no joke, just building tunnels. Like, just you carving. Dig. I, I dug. I was really into it. And I continue to be into it, but it's something I have to regulate because I know I'm going to get sunk in there. Because, like, I really like digging in a straight line. <laughs> and it was so, so relaxing to do. But I would get too into it, and he'd go to bed, and he'd say that same thing of, like, honey, I'm going to bed. Mm-hmm. Of course, he was doing it at about 2 a.m., so, uh, like, about 2 a.m., honey, I'm going to bed, it's late. I'll be there soon. Four hours later. <laughs> and I think the, the difference here is when escapism is a good thing. 
it's allowing you to recharge or reevaluate the closest I'm thinking of right now. We'll go with that for now. Sure. It allows you to do that. And so you take the time and then you come back and you're refreshed and you can dive into it. While the bad kind of escapism is just taking a step back and ignoring and just running away instead of you never come back yeah no. you never you never turn back to that original state you were in you're just you just keep going where with where you are but that's artificial right i've heard a lot of stories with when it comes to all kinds of mmorpgs and obviously mmorpgs can be good we talked a little bit about how people make friends on mmorpgs make those social connections that they're really, I mean... It's, you, not, it's not the system that's bad itself, it's just it can sometimes yeah, you know, get there's, abused. But you'll hear about these you know, lifelong friendships and relationships and things starting on World of Warcraft. But you will also hear about the people like, this is, this is third hand, because my brother had a friend who was very, <laughs> very, very, very into Final Fantasy XI, which was an MMO. He, my brother said he knew that his friend had a problem and they were all living together after college, and he walked by and his friend was sitting in his underwear slumped over on his side at the desk with Final Fantasy XI on the computer just pushing one button. <laughs> just sitting there pushing one button over and over again. Because MMOs, they tap into the same thing as, like, gambling, where it's just stringing you along for those rewards just long enough to keep you going. He became the rat with the button. He, he did. He, beca- he literally kept pushing that button. Yeah. Now, it's a very real thing. To be fair, because I'm sure a lot of people will be thinking, oh no, video games can be addictive. Well, it's the same escapism, it's the same rat with the button thing as, well, gee, what did they use on the rat? It was drugs, right? And yep. alcohol and various other things. Caffeine, which well, is a drug. But I mean, even if we want to go as non-drugs, trashy TV can be the exact yeah. same thing. Like, if you want to sit and you want to watch people whose lives are worse than yours and just kind of... No. And get sucked up into their drama so you don't have to deal with the drama of your own life. It can be used the same positive and negative ways. Yeah, no. And there are some really serious issues with TV watching, too, of just, like, watching some of it helps you understand how people work. Watching too much, and suddenly you have this issue where the only people you can relate to are the fictional characters on the screen. Yeah. Right? All things in moderation. All mm-hmm. things in moderation. <laughs> so so we come away with this episode, uh, Caffeine is Bad. Video games are bad. TV is bad. Just stay at home and become a monk. No, no, no. Don't go home. You shouldn't stay home. You should go outside. Go outside and be a monk. You should go outside and be a monk. Yes. Be a monk outside. I like this. This sounds like a <laughs> good message. Go. All right. So I think those are all great points, especially the monk thing. We should definitely <laughs> proceed with that. But I think this has been a really cool discussion. A lot of things came up that I honestly was not expecting to come up. Um, but that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> lots of lots of food for thought. Lots to, lots to sort of carry forward. So... With that, I'd like to transition into our molasses round for the episode. <laughs> um, so for this episode's molasses round, we decided to go with taking a game and making it more or less therapeutic. So basically, take a game that might not normally be considered a game that could be therapeutic or that would make you feel good, and find a way to change it to make it that way. Or, on the converse, because that might be more fun too, is take a game that is nice and therapeutic and makes you feel good and is positive and just... What would you change about that to make it not bad? <laughs> make it stressful. And to make it a stressful game, <laughs> or something similar. Okay, so I'll start. One game that I don't think most people will consider therapeutic or something that makes you, you know, feel good, become a better person, is Grand Theft Auto V. <laughs> I mean, Grand Theft Auto is possibly uh, the most notorious game franchise, or controversial, I would say. 
in terms of people thinking this makes my child into a murderer or a thief or just a predator in general. I mean, um, it does have a felony listed in its title alone. It, it is. So. The game is named after a federal crime. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's that. But I think there actually is a way to make Grand Theft Auto V, the latest entry into the series, quite uh, the therapeutic game. In fact, almost literally. So as a part of Grand Theft Auto V, Michael goes to see a therapist. And in the main game, it doesn't go great. Well, the therapist is kind of a jackass. He is a jackass. Just, like it, it almost, just a bit. It almost kind of bothered me that they went with the typical stereotype of the therapist doesn't really care. He just is there to keep you talking for two hours until your time is up, and then he kicks you out right when you're about to do something important and have an epiphany. Also, he's about to make a breakthrough. Ah, our time's up, yeah, and my rate has doubled. By the way, you owe me a million dollars now. Just something like that. But strip away the rest of the game. So no reintroduction with Trevor, no Franklin... You play as Michael, and you just keep going to the therapist, and you get all of your missions from him. He's your main mission guy. Maybe as you expand... He's actually useful. Maybe as you expand, you get missions from your family. They need you to run errands, or, you know, maybe your daughter wants you to come with her to her audition, and you need to, like, do certain things, right, to be supportive. Instead of doing heists, you go on family vacations to, like, Yellowstone, uh, or some waterfall somewhere. Go camping. You get to go camping instead of, you know, getting the fast cars or jets. You just have, like, an RV or Winnebago. And the point of the game is to sort of reconnect with Michael's family and, and make make it a family again, a loving family, a caring family. So at the end of it, you don't feel like, you know, this ex-criminal who's returned to his old ways and you're a horrible person and, and, and so many people have died and so many things have gotten twisted. You just feel like a good father and a good husband. Well, you would lose the comedy gold of the part where you walk in to Michael's bedroom and his wife whips a vibrator at his head. That could, that could happen. Be, that could yeah. be at the beginning of the game. So, that could still be at the beginning. You're right. You're right. That could still be at the beginning. Yeah, as you, long as we keep that. I feel like that's integral to Grand Theft Auto V. It, it needs, really is integral. You need, so. Yeah, you need to dodge the vibrator. Without <laughs> yeah. that, the whole thing will fail. It yeah. won't work. It's and a crucial also the line about if I have you know six more of these vodkas, whatever she was drinking, the martini, she might be comatose enough to sleep with him. Yeah, that's oh. pretty yeah. important yeah. too. Also, it cuts deep. Yeah, it cuts I also deep. do think that a few issues on Michael's end, not just him constantly working to make things better, but like go and have a bar fight, but not not yeah. anything higher than he that. He could go get into some trouble with Trevor. Mm, no, because that leads to normal GTA Five. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, he goes over the guy from work. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And no, see, you still you you get into like one bit of trouble with Trevor, but then Michael confronts Trevor like an adult and tells him that he's a bad influence and they shouldn't see each other anymore. Mm-hmm. Makes it, a healthy choice. It makes it a clean break. And it's a and it's a quick time event. Yes, it's a quick time event <laughs> to hug it out with Trevor. Yeah, you gotta keep tapping it. <laughs> just keep tapping, keep hugging it out until keep tapping X. Keep ta- tap X to love Trevor. <laughs> uh, so speaking of tapping X and quick time events, I would like to take a game that isn't all that stressful: Batman Arkham Asylum, or all of the Arkham games. They uh, can get stressful. They can get very say, stressful. What the hell are you talking? They can, about? I mean, I wouldn't quite call them like Dark Souls level of stress, but they're they can be stressful. They're stressful when you're not doing well. When you are doing well, you do feel like, you know... You, get you feel like the stone in the river. Yeah, you, fe- you feel a zen going on. But you see, how I would like to make that whole game less stressful, you wouldn't really have to change any of the mechanics or anything. 
But instead of Batman beating people until they can't walk straight, I would like to see him just tickle them <laughs> until they feel better about life. And then when they've had enough, they'll just lie on the ground and laugh for a while. I want to see the stealth segments like that. Yeah, I'm going to tickle you. Oh, Batman, no! I'm going to tickle you. Oh, it's bad. Tiki run. <laughs> I don't know. I wish you guys... It's just like growing up in a country where I'm immersed in violence and media quite often, but somehow, like, non-consensual tickling bothers me more almost, than punching a guy worse. in the face. But who wouldn't want to get tickled by the Batman? Me! Ah! Like, there's a reason my, like, every relationship I have ever been in has had a strict no-tickling rule. <laughs> you accomplished two things, Jeff. You made it both less stressful and more stressful. I mean, <laughs> hey! I'm going to take one of uh, the most well-known and one of the more toxic environments in gaming. Ooh. So I've been playing Overwatch this week. Okay. And most of the time, because I've been playing easy, like a scrub, most of the voice chat I've heard has been small children who left the sound on talking about how red's normally my favorite color, but right now I don't like red. I like blue, and it's like... Good job, kid. <laughs> but not today. <laughs> Life was simpler back then. Uh, 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 not today. <laughs> and then just yelling yes a lot of times when they win. But chatter over first-person shooters is not always that friendly. No, no it's not. And it's yeah, not, not healthy. Fair. So I would like to have a feature in games where first-person shooter servers, they make you pay a little more and they pay a little more. To have a certified therapist on the line at all times, talking through communication problems. He's, she, he's like the comms officer, like the, like, like, like mission control. Yeah. Like, I'm sensing some some conflict here, you guys. Uh, okay, so 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 Lucio just said that he needs everybody to get on the fucking point. Now, why why don't you take a deep breath and tell us how that really makes you feel without using profanity? You said that you would sleep with his mother. Now, I'm guessing that. You don't actually mean that, but you're using sexuality as a form of intimidation, and I don't think that's healthy. <laughs> you made the Reinhardt cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, See, God. here I am sitting, I'm thinking about all of the Dota games where someone has just turned completely toxic. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have fun. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm sensing some hostility. <laughs> Here's some, here's some suggestions. Oh, yeah, that could, that could go bad places very quick, but in a fun way. Well, I understand yeah. that uh, you're frustrated because you didn't win, but you see, life is a series of successes and failures, but what makes us people is what we do with those experiences. I had a great experience like that once in Destiny, when I was still playing Destiny. I was running a raid, and this guy was just being really toxic, just being a complete jackass. It was me and two of my friends, and then him, and then two other randoms who were obviously kids. Because they didn't talk very much on the mics, and when they did, they were obviously kids. So they were obviously nervous to say anything, because this guy was being a jerk. Yeah. And, like, putting them down when they were failing at something. My One of my friends I was playing with kept trying to be like, dude, calm down. It's just a game. Like, he was just he was trying to talk this angry guy through, like, saying, like, I, did, I took out this wave all by myself, because apparently I'm the only one who knows how to play this game, like, being a jerk. I will admit I took the lower road. He would get a, get frustrated that we were, you know, not all focusing and shooting at the same time at one particular enemy. You're supposed to burn down that way. 
So I would just drop in and purposely start screwing up just to make him angrier in the hopes he would drop. See, this is what my therapist would fix. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll admit, I was part of the problem there. Although, when we did finally complete it, and it was just me and my friends in orbit, and we were talking about the guy, I did say, I'll admit, a couple times that was just me shooting at, uh, at the gatekeeper just to piss him off, and we all had a good laugh. So there was team building involved. Yeah. It brought us closer as friends. It there was, you go. It was a salvageable moment. Yeah. yeah. See, I just like the image of a therapist having to use the gamer tags that people have. <laughs> you know, so butt stuff, Sama. I, I hear that you're wanting to sleep with his mother. I, now, I know that's not totally true. How does it really make you feel? Now, yes, now, yes, now, 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 Super Ninja 666, I think you need to try and put yourself in the shoes of Ass Blaster 69. <laughs> um, really, really think about where they're coming from in this situation. No scope hacks or 420, you've been quiet. Why don't you tell us how you feel? Girthquake, girthquake. <laughs> Would you mind rephrasing that without any profanity, please? <laughs> I would suggest a change of your name, though clever it is. <laughs> Jessica, what is a game you would either fix or ruin? Admittedly, this is one that we talked about before we started the episode, so it's not entirely my own idea. But actually, when I do talk about a lot of the research that's been done on video games, Tetris has been a long-standing choice for a lot of clinicians and so forth to work with, or psychologists, rather, because they're the ones doing the testing. So a lot of psychologists and so forth use Tetris as a different tool for various tests and so forth. But also, you know, as Grant mentioned in our appetizer and so forth, it is a frequent one <laughs> that just the casual gamer can play and so forth. And it, it brings relaxation. It's something to do. Add the Milgram test to it. Oh, God. Uh, so if you haven't heard of the Milgram test, that was the horrible, horrible experiment where uh, basically... A participant would come in, and they were told to, like, bring up, like, increase the level of voltage that they were applying to somebody anytime they answered a question incorrectly, all right? So they believed that there were two participants in this study. Now, this wasn't true. They weren't actually increasing any kind of voltage. It was just an act around the other and pretending to get shocked, It was totally an act, and basically, each time the quote-unquote other participant answered some a question wrong the voltage would go up and they would get shocked and they would say ow or that hurt or whatever and they would rate their pain and as it got worse and worse they would start begging please stop <laughs> to the point where the theoretical voltage being delivered would have killed and it, w- it was deemed all kinds of unethical and so forth after the fact. Yeah, I want um, to say it kind of lives in infamy now. Yeah, so adding that to Tetris. So every time you complete a block, you hear just like a little... Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and then as it gets worse, it's like, oh god! It just begs you to... No! St- Please, god, no! Stop clearing blocks, I have a oh, family. Oh god, why? I don't know, that tiny little first squeak of pain might make it the most adorable, unethical experiment ever conducted. Ouchies. <laughs> From, oh god! Is that just the one uh, poor Russian labor- laborer who's tasked with building something with these blocks just keeps getting destroyed? <laughs> the costs keep going up, the project never gets finished. He can't go home. He can't go home. Can't go. Uh, His Soviet masters won't let him go home. No. <laughs> so, for me, 
the most stressful games that I play are the ones that just have the ridiculously high stakes. So I don't think I've, in recent memory, been stressed out by a game as much as XCOM. Yeah, that's true. Fair, that's fair to say. That's I love fair. XCOM. The mechanics are solid. It's a great game. We talk about it on the show a lot. But there is no doubt it is a very stressful experience because when your soldiers die, they are dead. Oh, God. I, I, I started XCOM 2 recently, and I it did not go well, and I just can't bring myself to play it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm building up to it. It's all right. You'll, just give it time. Yeah. You'll get so, time. my suggestion that I think would deflate a lot of the stress and make XCOM maybe not necessarily a relaxing game, but certainly a less stressful one, is when your soldiers are reduced to zero health, they are, you know, knocked unconscious, and they need to take some time to rest up, but then they just get an early retirement. <laughs> it's like, alright, you did a good job They get the purple heart, they get an early retirement And when you go over to where the memorial wall normally is Instead, that's the vacation home <laughs> And it just takes you to a nice tropical island Where all of your soldiers are laid up They got their purple heart They, You know, maybe they have like some scars Or they're still on a cast or something You know, they're they're still hurt But they're gonna, it's, it's never anything super de- They're not missing any limbs or anything they're, oh, yeah. they're generally okay you know, with with their significant others and like a dog and maybe some kids hanging out, like drinking tropical drinks on the beach and just sort of a mai tai. Yeah, just sort of enjoying life. And so when you are stressed out because oh the aliens are coming, you know you can you can just go visit the vacation home and hang out and see your soldiers all buddying up, doing the same stuff, having drinks, playing pool, running on the treadmill together, and everything like that. But you know they just look a lot less stressed because they've earned it. They yeah. can just relax. Like, hey, hey Commander, how, how's the war going? Eh, well, not so good. As you know, I sent about 12 more people here yesterday. and they, <laughs> they, they're, enjoying, they're enjoying themselves, but it's a bit rough out there on the battlefield. Ah, oh, you're doing a great job. Don't even worry about it. Just keep doing your thing. You're great. Everybody loves you. In <laughs> fact, if more people have to come, that's okay. We're, we'll, we'll take care of them. We can Don't always worry use more company. We'll make yeah. There's like an ice cream truck on the island where I, everything's <laughs> always free. So yes. just, you know, it's, and there's like a roller coaster. It's the best place in the world. So, in, fact, in fact, never mind. They just go to Disney World. They just go to Disney World. <laughs> there you go. Disney no. World. So you want to give them heaven. So you made, but they you, don't have to die. You've constructed a heaven metaphor. <laughs> yes. They go to the good place. Yes. <laughs> they already go to the good place, Grant. <laughs> if you send like another four, we can actually have a full team for football. So <laughs> if you could get working on that, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Just stub a toe. Yeah, <laughs> I like to imagine the mech troopers there having the time of their life. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so overall, I think this was a really fun, really interesting discussion to have. So I'm happy. I don't know about you guys, but this was good. Please go ahead and, and uh, tweet us or comment on Facebook if you're there, or even just maybe leave a comment on our uh, WordPress site. Let us know what games maybe have been therapeutic for you or have been helpful. Uh, with relieving stress in some way for you, we, we'd love to hear it. I know we talked about some ideas here on the show, but we're always, you know, we always love to hear more, especially from you guys. So, with that, I'm Connor. I'm Paige. I'm Jeff. I'm Jessica. And I'm Grant. And thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode of Volcano Bake Me. Thanks for listening to Volcano Bake Me. Join the conversation online by visiting our website, volcanobakemeat.wordpress.com, emailing us at so simply very good at gmail.com. Following us on Twitter at so simply very good, good spelled G U D like a lolcat. Subscribing to our subreddit, our Volcano Bake Meat. Following us on Facebook at Volcano Bake Meat Radio. Or checking out our YouTube channel, Volcano Bake Meat. And of course, you can subscribe to the podcast or review us on iTunes and Stitchers. Our opening theme is by Techne.
spelled T-E-X-V-N, and you can find his work on SoundCloud. Our About Page portraits were drawn by Sarah Tillery. Her art can be found at stillsart.tumblr.com, and she is open for commissions. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. Thank you.